Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm your host, JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I'm talking with Lillian. And Lillian is in Toronto right now, but based in the US, partnered in Japan, doing very innovative new business, which supports small artisans, craftspeople in Japan to the international market. Using Kokoro Care Package as the business base. And I love what you're doing. So excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining, Lillian. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. It's a real pleasure to meet you. And I especially appreciate what you're doing to focus on sustainability in Japan as well. So I think we have a, a lot in common and a lot to talk about. Yeah, for sure.、Um, and even though you're not based in Japan, I, I love this focus. Of supporting small businesses in Japan, supporting artisans from abroad, and introducing small businesses and artisans and craftspeople to the world through international trade. And so, this is definitely a, a very important aspect of sustainability and protecting these businesses as they move forward because. We see a decrease not only in population, but so many less people are going into farming and agriculture and traditional trades in Japan. So, your business that supports these traditional trades hopefully makes it more sustainable into the future. It's awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I mean, I, I'm more than happy to, to start off and tell your audience a little bit more about Kokoro Care Packages and what we do, and that might be、um, a good place for us to start. And so, We're a relatively new business. We're about two and a half years old at the moment, but、um, we started almost as a way to, to scratch my own itch. So I'm, I'm half Japanese. My mother is from Osaka. And so I grew up with, with Japanese food, and I just I absolutely love the diversity of it. The,、um, there's so much depth to it as well in terms of the flavors. And,、um, you know, I found after I'd spent time in Japan, I, I lived there for two years teaching English. And I came back and I thought, my goodness, I really want to share a lot more of my heritage and the culture、um, of Japanese food with the rest of the world. And so when I met my co founder, Aki Sugiyama, we,、um, we actually both spent about 10 years in finance. Um, and we sort of met when we were both in our past lives working in capital markets. And、uh, I was visiting Japan on one of my many business trips, and a mutual friend thought that it would be great for us to meet. We're both、um, passionate about health and wellness, and we very much believe that food is more than just what's on your plate, but is really a way to nourish your body.、Um, and so we had this wonderful conversation just、um, over a meal in Tokyo about how, especially particularly with the Japanese food, I mean, I think that there's a lot, it's not. There's a lot to be said about the food that they eat, the actual quality, the fact that a lot of it is seasonal,、um, and they do try to eat as naturally as possible. I know a lot of that's changing with sort of the introduction of, of a lot more westernized and fast food on the go.、Um, but at the core of what it is, I think that there is a lot to be said about、um, even the presentation. You know, there's a little bit of everything. You know, you don't eat until you're full, you, you eat until you're 80% full, and there's a lot of different philosophies、um, that we thought that the world could sort of benefit from. I'm hearing a little bit more about. And so when I ended up coming、um, back to、uh, the West, I actually am living in Los Angeles at the moment, but visiting in Toronto now.、Um, Aki and I kept in touch, and the idea of Kokoro Care Packages and a way of bringing authentic, real, natural foods to people around the world just started sort of rumbling up. And then at some point, we decided to sort of pull the plug and, and thought about ways of really delivering. 
um, the true meaning of Japanese food, not just the food itself, but obviously we'll get into the types and the qualities of the food that we um, that we include in each of our care packages, um, but also the philosophies and then supporting the local farmers and producers, which is a huge part of what we do. And of course, that is such an important part of sustainability. And I'm so excited to come across your information. And I was interested in just the branding aspect of it, just introducing Japanese crafts and products to the world is enough of a reason to talk to you. And then digging in more to your wonderful website, which I would love to show here, and all of the amazing producers that you have. And yeah, we actually, we actually all the stories are amazing. Spotlight. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, I mean, it was something that really blossomed as we sort of started to spend a little bit more time. I mean, when we think about food, I'm 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 a big label reader, and I really do believe that the food that I eat really drives my health and wellness. And so, for me, I really wanted to make sure that all the foods that we included were free of chemicals, free of additives, um, as natural as possible. Um, and then the more time we spent, so Aki Sugiyama, who, as I mentioned, is our co-founder based in um, Tokyo, um, she's Japanese and she's done a, such an incredible job of building a network and meeting with a lot of the local farmers and producers um, that we partner with. Um, and a lot of them have such incredible stories. And um, when we sort of got to, to know them and, and sort of heard about their missions with regards to sustainability and to making sure that a lot of their tra traditions that are literally centuries years old um, that have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, it's interesting, even as you're going through our website, I can kind of remember some of the stories. And um, when I think about, uh, you know, one of the tea farmers that does a, a goishicha, which is a fermented green tea, um, it was a family business that had been in his family for 400 years. Um, and he was the last farmer who sort of knew the traditional technique on how to make these teas. And he's been sort of keeping that dream alive. And for us, um, you know, Joy, as you mentioned, with the, the way that the demographics are changing so much in Japan that uh, with an aging population, a lot of the farmers are, are sort of seeing these crafts and traditions disappear because a lot of the younger generations, you know, they're moving to Tokyo or moving to Osaka or even leaving Japan in general. And so we're, we're trying to find ways to help these businesses find a larger audience. Um, and so us, that's been sort of a blessing and it's it's really wonderful us. We always say that we're, we're sort of just the middle people, you know, like when I, I think when people talk about the credit of, of what we do and the food that we're delivering, it really has to go to the local farmers and producers because they're the ones who are lovingly and painstakingly creating these foods. And we are just able to give them a market. You know, a lot of them, um, as you probably know, especially the older generation, I mean, they don't have websites, they don't use computers. You know, a lot of times we get our orders faxed in and, you know, Aki spends a lot of time on the phone, kind of the old fashioned way, getting orders. Um, but for them, it's just, it's it's wonderful to be able to A, share their products with an international audience who, you know, they would never expect to see their food halfway across the world by, you know, a, a non-Japanese family enjoying it, whether it be in Europe or Australia or, or the U.S. And it also gives them an opportunity to, to share their stories and their traditions. And then on the flip side, I mean, our community is is very, it's incredible. I mean, I think a lot of them they get to see the stories of each of the producers that, that we partner with and, and what it really means to them to be able to share those foods. And I think, you know, food for us has always been a lot more about the connections that you make. Um, and so for us, we're finding that, you know, for us, we're really connecting our community, no matter where they are around the world, 
with the local farmers and producers in Japan. And despite the language barriers, despite some of the cultural barriers, I think that there is a lot that people can share in terms of um, their love of food and their love of Japan and its culture. Definitely. And I, I heard this in your excellent talk with uh, Arigato Food Tours, uh, Lauren Shannon, who has also been in the series, um, talking about your amazing boxes that you're sending around the world, but also the demand in Japan, which I want to dive into in a minute. But you mentioned about uh, helping the small, medium-sized businesses with communicating with the outside world and how you often relay the feedback from the customer back to the producer, which they would never hear because they don't have a website or social media presence. So that is a, another wrinkle in this amazing connection network that you're creating through yeah. what you do. It's amazing. Well, I do. I mean, um, as you know, with a lot of people um, in Japan, especially the smaller farmers and producers, I mean, they're very humble. And it's really interesting. And I think you'll see this a lot in Japan where they have such incredible food, incredible traditions, but they're very, um, it's not even a sense of being humble. Like, I think that they, it's just sort of what they're passionate about and what they, they feel that the world wants to see. But there, it's not something that they would sort of go on the top of a mountain and scream about. So it's really our way of, of sharing that in a way that honors that that feeling of being humble, but also just expressing how incredible these foods are. And um, it's always a treat for me. I mean, when Aki, I, um, as I mentioned, I live in Los Angeles, so I actually get our care packages almost at the same time that a lot of our customers do. Um, so we have a monthly and seasonal subscription. So that theme changes every month and every season. And so we like to share different aspects of Japanese culture as well. And so in July, we did uh, Shojin Ryori, which um, for those of you who don't know, it's the Buddhist vegan cuisine. And so it's very simple, but it really speaks truly to Japanese food in terms of being a harmony on your plate. So they um, they definitely, you know, they don't eat any animal products and they don't actually eat anything that has too much of an over taste to it. So, you know, something like garlic isn't allowed in their cuisine, but when you eat it, it really brings you back to the flavors of eating real, true foods. And I think, especially in America, where there's, you know, we tend to be over salting, over sugaring, and over fattening all of our foods, that to be able to almost cleanse your palate and and start afresh and really notice what foods are supposed to taste like. I mean, I think it's it's incredible. And then when we hear about the craftsmanship that goes into um, a lot of the products, I mean, we um we have a soy sauce that we feature, and it's been in the family for 200 years. And um, the soy warehouse has actually been designated a heritage center by Japan. And so nobody is allowed in aside from the artisanal brewers. There's, there they are, um, that, are, that masterfully go in twice a day for three years to stir the soy sauce and make sure that the koji and there's a balance of flavors. They're still using the same wooden panels that they've used for 200 years. And so these are amazing sort of stories, I think, especially in this world where, you know, businesses come and go that, you know, in Japan, a lot of them have literally been around for centuries. And so for us, it's really important that we don't lose that. Um, I think it's such a special aspect of what makes Japan so special that we truly want to make sure that A, people can learn about them and that B, that we can support them in any way that we can. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love that you you featured Shojin Yori because I know as travel returns, as people start coming back, there is going to be more demand for plant-based options. And this is a hurdle in Japan. There's still not enough. And when I do tourism consulting, I always say, 
how about making like a simple plant-based dish? Maybe let's think about macrobiotic or let's think about shoujinyori, which have their base in Japanese culture, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm not a, a vegan or vegetarian myself, but I think, you know, when I tend to look at my diet, it does include a lot of, of vegetables and I do eat fish and I, I try to make sure that the way that I eat is sustainable in any aspect that it can be. Um, and you're right. I mean, I think for a lot of when we think about Japan and how it even got started, I mean, there's an expression, Satoyama, which is sort of where the village meets the mountain. And this is what they really believe in, is that you can live in a world where the people as the village can live in harmony with the, the nature around it and so that it's almost mutually beneficial where the land gives you nourishment but you also have to take care of it itself knowing that um, it's almost like a cycle and a lot of the farmers and producers that we work with it's really interesting because they really think about the next generation you know so I think if you had a business that had been in your family for nine generations it's not something that you would easily let go so for them it's a lot of how can we make sure that the land that we're we're tending to um, can be sustained for many, many generations afterwards. And um, as you know, in Japan too, I mean, there's a lot of natural disasters that happen, um, you know, with what happened in, in Fukushima and Tohoku as well. We, um, one of the themes that we did was a Tohoku themed care package. Um, and that was really special to us because it gave us an opportunity to share the story of, you know, I think when you look at the news, you sort of see the sensationalism of it, but how the community really came back together in order to support each other. Um, and that they're really, I mean, there's a resilience, a quiet resilience in Japan where there's a sense of, you know, things do happen in this world and it's, you know, shogunai, what can you do? Um, but you do know that you have to sort of continue on. And so they've been doing a wonderful job of rebuilding um, a lot of their their farms. And, um, you know, we, we did have, we, fe we featured a soba cha, which is a soba tea um, that's made from buckwheat. And uh, this was a story in Niigata where there was an earthquake and um, the farm, the, the land that they created was basically barren land that, you know, had they not gone in and really taken the time to rebuild it, I mean, I think it would have been sort of devastating for the area. And so you do have some companies that go in and they think about how can I not only grow a business for myself, but grow a business for the community and to help support the community in different ways um, by giving them jobs and giving them something to be proud of in terms of, you know, caring about their, their local, um, their local family and the local farms and the local people around them. It's, it's wonderful to see that you're all over Japan uh, as well in, in the kinds of products that you source. Uh, you're focused on organic, natural processes, uh, traditional trades. How do you find such amazing producers to work with for your, your boxes? Yeah, we actually get this comment a lot. It's really interesting. I think um, a lot of kudos goes towards my my co-founder, Aki Sugiyama. So she, um, being based in Japan, I mean, she does a phenomenal job of networking and, and meeting people who um, share our values, you know, and I think that that's really important for us. There's a lot of farmers um, in Japan who aren't growing for the sake of growing. And when we think about our business too, you know, I've always said that we're not here trying to make millions and trying to get sold or any of that. I mean, we're two women who are very passionate about what we're doing, but we're thinking about the long-term perspective of how can we grow a business that in and of itself is sustainable by supporting a lot of our values. So Aki does a phenomenal job. I mean, she goes to natural food expos, she goes to local farmers markets, and um, she's actually half Okinawan. So her family is from Ishigaki Island. 
and um, she has been able to find these incredible products. And a lot of times, um, it's interesting because you sort of talk about the Japanese market. When we first started, um, our website is entirely in English, and we thought, well, you know, this is going to be something, a way for us to share the local foods of Japan with people overseas. So whether it be somebody who has been to Japan or maybe just even wants to try Japanese food and doesn't really know where to start, gets a little intimidated when they start seeing, um, you know, these different ingredients that they've never tried before. We like to make everything really simple. So we include a, a full brochure that goes through all the products, all the producers, tells their stories, um, everything in English. We include the ingredients, um, suggested uses and recipes just to make it really simple. Um, but to get back to our story, I mean, Aki has done such a phenomenal job of finding local products that are hard to find even within Japan that we noticed that there was an interest of people asking, you know, from different regions within Japan, can I get access to this wonderful curation? Because, you know, each, each box has a theme and um, this month we're doing Japanese herbs and spices. So we're really trying to focus on, you know, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when you travel to a place and you eat the herbs and spices, especially something that's been foraged and it's coming directly from the land, it usually has like a very distinct flavor that you will forever sort of remember because it's, it's the flavor, it's the aroma that really matches your surroundings. So you almost feel completely present with where you are through food. And so we're doing one, um, as you're showing there, with the Japanese herbs and spices, sort of focusing on shiso and wasabi and some of the lesser known ones as well. Um, but we really try to sort of share with people different things that maybe they hadn't tried before. And so even within Japan, people reach out to us. And we, we, we actually featured um, from Okinawa, it was a smoked island tofu. So the, the island, the tofu is, is smoked. And so it almost has like a creamy, cheesy texture to it. Um, but it has like a wonderful smokiness to it. And it's such a unique product, even within Okinawa. You know, I don't think it's something that people would have known about. Um, and it's been one of our most popular products. So there's always something interesting that people for even within Japan um, are interested in trying, um, especially those who maybe, you know, are can't read the Japanese labels. Um, we try to make it easy for them as well. Yeah, no, it's awesome because a lot of the companies and products you're featuring are so niche and small and only from one area that even for people in Japan, it's kind of hard to get this kind of variety, like something from Okinawa, something from, you know, Kanagawa and, and Osaka and different areas. Uh, on screen right now, you're showing the red, red shiso, which I just discovered not too long ago, a few years ago as an amazing summer drink. It is so refreshing. And it's that deep red color, has a very wonderful taste. I think you just seep it with water and a little bit of sugar. It's not that complicated to make. And no, and this is interesting. So the product, awesome. uh, yeah. You know, look at the picture. The family above that, they're actually the ones that, that make the shiso. Um, so they're a young family that have a farm in Nose, which is just outside of Osaka. Um, and when they started their farm, they really just wanted to almost get their hands really dirty and get into the community and really sort of share what their land could create. But the land proved to be, as you might know, that Mother Nature doesn't necessarily make it easy. And so it was a really big challenge for them to re to really have a producing farm. Um, but they managed to do it with the help of their, their young kids. And um, it's called Vegetable Park. And they actually encourage people to come to their, their park and to see what farming is like. And I find that with a lot of our producers, like they're more than happy to have people come and visit and see what it's like to 
farm and, and lend a hand on almost and to, to help out. And it's really that sense of, of community. But um, they created this beautiful, they have a lot of different artisanal products. We've actually featured a brown rice jam that they have, which is just literally made from fermented brown rice. And it has like a little touch of sweetness to it. But I find with Japanese food, there's not, they don't tend to be overly sweet. I mean, it just has the right amount of balance. Um, and so we're featuring a red shiso syrup, um, as you mentioned, that you can make into um, a little drink if you want to put it in some sparkling water. And uh, it's something that grandmothers would almost feed to their their grandchildren after a hot summer's day. And it was just so refreshing because it has that minty flavor to it. Um, and so that's something we, yeah, we're very excited to, to share with people. Oh, I think you're still on mute there. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, okay. so uh, introducing your wonderful website and how you talk about all these great recipes, because I think with all these great ingredients, it is a little bit of a hurdle knowing how to prepare it, how to make it. But your website does such a beautiful job in introducing oh, um, pictures you. and how to make it. It's awesome. Yeah, well, it's something interesting that we even sort of talked about from the beginning. I mean, we do include... Um, a lot of traditional recipes. And so I think that there's two different audiences. I think that there are some people who really want to sort of up their game when it comes to Japanese food, because for, for Japanese food, I mean, it can be, I feel like everything in Japan sort of has a dichotomy to it. So there's, there's one side and then there's another extreme. And so I think when it comes to Japanese food, I mean, there, it's, it's quite simple in its preparation. I find that there's not, you know, you're not overly spicing things. You're not, you know, overly stewing things. It's not a super complicated cuisine to put together, but it is delicate. So you do sort of have to be kind of delicate with the flavors and the way that you combine them. Um, but then I find, you know, on the other end, I mean, there is the traditional, you know, when you think about kaiseki, the high-end Japanese foods, I mean, this takes years and years. And I think for people, um, they might, may or may not know that with, even with sushi, when you're learning to become a sushi sh chef, it takes you seven years before you're even allowed to make the rice, let alone start cutting the fish. And so it's really with those traditions. So when it comes to our recipes, you know, we kind of, we want to show different sides of it. We want to show people if you really want to learn how to cook traditional Japanese foods, we sort of give you hints on how to do that. But I always say too, you know, if, if there's simple ways that you can just add some Japanese flavor, I mean, um, my team always laughs because I'm always, furikake is sort of a Japanese seasoning um, and it can come from many different things. And I literally will put it on almost anything. <laughs> so I almost use it as a salt substitute. And so, you know, if, if I'm having pasta, if I'm having pizza, if I'm having you know, just some plain fish. I will always kind of sprinkle some from flavors of Japan. And um, and this is just sort of a wonderful way to incorporate Japanese flavors. And um, I love that you're showing our, our new dashi kit as well. And I think um, for those people who may not be familiar with dashi, I mean, it's such a wonderful way to bring out flavors of food. And it's actually what the driver is of umami, which people sort of have heard of as being sort of the fifth taste. Um, but it's a simple broth and it's usually made with something like kombu, which is a thick Japanese kelp or shiitake mushrooms or katsuobushi, which is um, a really hardened tuna filet. Um, but it's, you know, one of these, one or two of these simple ingredients that are boiled to bring out the broth. But the idea is that it has certain acids that actually 
stimulate certain uh, taste bud receptors that you have on your tongue as well as sort of get you salivating. So it really does help other foods taste more. They call it deliciousness, but it does bring that deliciousness to the forefront um, and also just sort of enhances the other flavors of the foods that you're eating. So it's it's the powerful, I guess, like secondary actor to any meal. And you'll find it in so many different aspects of Japanese cuisine. Yeah. And it's it's often as we go back to vegan food or plant-based food, this is often a hurdle because most dashi for noodle dishes, soups, uh, most Japanese foods will be made with the fish katsubushi base. And so when you show that there is a real variety of deep flavors, umami flavors that you can create from shiitake mushrooms, from kombu, from different kinds of seaweed and kelp, that really helps not only foreigners trying to cook plant-based Japanese food, but also it helps Japanese restaurants and hotels who are thinking about how to change the dashi, which is the fundamental base for all dishes, to appeal to all visitors and all customers. No, yeah, and because, I think that's an, right? that's an interesting yeah. aspect. I mean, I think for people who are vegan who try who go to Japan, um, I think it's becoming a little bit more popular now, but it wasn't something that was very sort of popular because I think the Japanese food tends to be seasonal. It does tend to include a lot of vegetables um, and a lot of sea products, um, whether or not it be, you know, especially when you think about something like seaweed. I mean, it's so ingrained in, in Japanese food and there's a million different types of seaweed. I mean, when we talk about Okinawa, they have a mozuku seaweed, which is sort of brown and thin and almost slimy and it has a beautiful texture to it. Um, but it can be difficult because if you go to some places and it looks as if it's you're getting a, a vegan noodle dish um, it's possible that it does have something like the katsuobushi like the the tuna that I mentioned in the broth so there is a different aspects of it um, that you sort of have to be a, a little bit cautious of if you're looking to be um, a strict vegetarian while in Japan but I do think um, some of the areas are opening it up a little bit as um, they sort of understand the different markets in terms of people coming to Japan and, and what they're looking for. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I have read so much recently about the power of seaweed and kelp to pull down carbon from the atmosphere. So we need more kelp and seaweed farms in Japan and around the world to save our oceans and save ourselves. So if we're using it more in our cuisine, wherever we are, that's a great way to increase demand and increase how much seaweed and kelp is being put into the ocean and harvested and you know more and more carbon can be captured so it's awesome yeah. well i think it's really important i think for everyone you know as we sort of talk about how how we want the world to look and when we think about sustainability i think it's very important as you said to kind of speak with your wallets and say you know what companies do i want to support and you know i think it's it's difficult in this day and age because it's I find a lot of marketing sometimes makes things difficult to really understand, you know, who's doing what and what's right. And so for us, I mean, it's really important that we actually get to know um, the local farmers and producers as well as we can and, you know, sort of have that personal relationship with them. But it's always been so impressive. I mean, I think, um, you know, a lot of these these 
producers, they, they, their farms started way before there was even technology, you know, like a lot of them still kind of embrace the old fashioned way of doing things. But I think for a lot of the flavors that you get, you really can't get them anywhere way else. You know, I mean, I think you can try to look for fast alternatives, but um, for a lot of the food processes, a lot of them take, you know, six months to create one thing, you know, and a lot of the, the different items that we include, you know, they're handcrafted or, you know, they just take time. But I, I think, you know, we spend so much time, especially with our food, eating without even thinking, you know, we're on our phones and we're not even connecting with other people that when you sort of like start to slow down and really appreciate what went into the food. And I mean, that's a huge part of, of Japanese eating in general. I mean, before you eat your meal, you say itadakimasu, which is sort of the way of saying, you know, giving thanks for not only the food that you're about to eat, but everybody who's sort of prepared it along the way. And I think we're really hoping that our care packages will bring that opportunity for people to reconnect over, you know, a shared love of food and trying something new and trying to remember how it is to cook again. You know, I think a lot of us now are taking out and eating out a lot, which, you know, can be great to support local businesses as well. But we really just think it's it's to have that mystery of what does something taste like and wanting to try something new. And um, our care packages, too, we find uh, it was actually interesting during the pandemic um, over the the, um, the New Year holiday. So New Year's is, is very big in Japan. It's sort of the, the one day where everybody, you know, gets together, they clean their homes and they really want to start fresh. And they have um, Osechi Dori, which is sort of the, the traditional meal. Um, and so we had that theme for our December care packages and people ordered them for their family members around the world so that they could kind of come together and share a meal and share that special New Year's meal. And so that really, it meant so much to us to be able to to connect people um, around the world in a different way that we hadn't thought that that was going to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Molly is joining us from the U.S. and she says smoked tofu sounds like it would be awesome. Yeah, from Okinawa. And I, is, I haven't yeah. I haven't found a variety of tofus in my supermarket or in my local area. So this is really special. You mentioned before for the shojin yori, the sesame tofu, which has a really different flavor as well. There's some great options around Japan, huh? Yeah, and we also, you know, we featured yuba, which people might know. It's it's the, um, the film that actually comes on the top of soy milk when you're heating it and it becomes really thin and silky smooth. And so it's a different type of tofu, but it has a wonderful, unique texture. And so for people who are vegans, I mean, I think sometimes people think of tofu um, and they think of, you know, a block of bland tasting, you know, soy, whatever it may be. But Japan has really, you know, revolutionized the different textures and different ways that you can eat it and prepare it um, to a point where it really does become sort of the, the highlight and the real core focus of its meals. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, Japanese food, I mean, it seems to generally be seasonal. Um, and I think that's a huge aspect of what they focus on. And I think, you know, for each of our care packages as well, when we introduce a theme, you know, we might do something like yuzu, um, which is a Japanese citrus food. It's sort of the citrus fruit that um, it kind of re resembles a, a lemon mixed with a mandarin orange so it's a little bit sweet and a little bit tart at the same time um but that's very seasonal in the fall time so we always try to bring that care package around in the fall and so we do like to introduce people to flavors that they might not um have tried before but then also different regions as well but um the smoked tofu is is one that's been um very popular and we're actually um in the process of making some of our products available individually because 
I think also when we think about, um, first of all, people get our care packages and they fall in love with something and they say, well, how can I get it? And there's like, I searched the internet and I couldn't find it. And <laughs> I think a lot of times it's, well, it's, you know, they, they don't have websites and these are very um, unique foods that are very hard to get. But we also want to be able to support some of the local farmers on more of an ongoing basis. And so um, when we feature one of their packages, one of their products in our packages, and, you know, it's a one, it was in that one month, you know, we sort of think about how can we make this more of an ongoing partnership. And so we're hoping that, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time on logistics, but uh, as we sort of make that um, figure out how we can do that best. Um, we're hoping to make the, the products available for purchase as people um, want them. And then as of right now, you can always email us um, at info at Kokoro Cares, and we're happy to source some of them in, in bulk items for you as well. That is a really good point, because once you introduce someone to something new from Japan, and then maybe they have Japantown, like LA does, uh, not too far from them, but there's a lot of places around the world where they don't have access to these ingredients besides through you. So having that ongoing way to get products that they really love and become part of their diet, that would be a great resource. Yeah, well, we found, I mean, it's interesting. So I'm, as I mentioned, I'm half Japanese and I'm living in LA, which has a very big Japanese population. Um, and they have a lot of great, you know, big Japanese grocery stores like Mitsua, Marukai. Um, but I find for, even with them, you know, you end up getting the same typical types of food. So you'll see, you know, soba and you'll see sort of the same things. And a lot of people, you know, A, you get a little intimidated because you don't know what everything is. But it's also, I, I find that there's, it's almost... I wouldn't say it's a little superficial, but it's it's not our foods that we really want them to be unique in a certain way, you know, that they really either have a wonderful story to them or a different flavor that maybe people haven't tried before. Um, and I think a lot of times, too, it's it's a lot of the bigger producers that end up getting their products, you know, the mass producers into these grocery stores. And for us, we're more focused on on some of these smaller um, producers that, you know, like they wouldn't be able to to get themselves um, into a big trading company that's going to ship their stuff across the, you know, across the oceans to different people. Um, and something else that I noticed too, and it was really interesting. So my Japanese is, is not as good as it could be, but um, I've brought my mom to the Japanese grocery store before. And sometimes we'll look at the labels and they'll put an English translation on it, but they don't match up to what's actually inside the products. And so I think for a lot of people, we want to be able, we want to be the company that people can trust in terms of, you know, if you get anything from us, you'll know that there's no chemicals, there's no additives, we're being as transparent as possible, um, and that we're really speaking to the local producers to make sure that we represent their products um, in a way that makes the most sense. But yeah, I find that even in Japanese grocery stores, I mean, if I'm completely honest, this was only almost my way to scratch my own itch because I was even getting a little tired. I'm like, these, these, you know, the Japanese, the food in Japan is so much better than what's represented in a lot of these local Japanese grocery stores. How can I get real authentic Japanese food? And so this was a wonderful way for um, me to get my my own foods uh, shipped from Japan. But it's um it's a really wonderful way to experiment and, and see new types of flavors in a way that we hope is not intimidating. And I think yeah. some people can, as I mentioned, get very intimidated by Japanese cuisine. But um, you'll sort of find out that it's really simple. And, and as I said, it, you can even add a dash of flavor here and there, and it'll really make a difference even in just your general meals. Yeah, that's wonderful. And the label and information available on packaging is a really good point. I met with a, a Kanimitsu Miso factory in Hiroshima, 
And she does a lot of exporting to health food stores and vegan chefs around the world. And so she has created an international friendly label for the export products. But most products sold in Japan do not have these clear labels about organic or uh, small business even, or natural farming, no pesticides, you know, like all the labels you would expect in a health food store in America or other countries, it just, it's not here yet. So that's another great service that you're offering. Yeah, well, I think that there's also, I mean, there's there's different standards. And I think, you know, as we're sort of learning as well, in terms of the common allergies that will get listed in the U.S. versus what's listed in Japan. But um, it's interesting that you mentioned organic, because this is a really interesting point. Um, so within Japan, it is the JAS is the uh, the organization that, um, allows for organic um, labeling to be put on different products. Um, it is a very, very strict process in Japan. It is a lot of paperwork. It is very difficult to obtain. Um, and so for even a lot of different companies where they the standards of the foods that they're creating would by all means be deemed organic, um, for them to get the certification becomes so difficult that they just sort of don't go down that path. And so a lot of the products we have, I mean, we will feature organic if we can, um, but even if it doesn't say organic, it will still meet that standard. And so I think it's really interesting to sort of see that difference. I think it's a lot easier to get the organic stand, um, sort of seal of approval in America um, than it is compared to Japan. Sorry, I have talked to... Uh, a bunch of farmers in this talk show series and a few of them have chosen not to get certified organic in Japan because they are disappointed with the levels of organic certification in Japan and they don't use any pesticides or chemical fertilizers and some are allowed in the organic standards in Japan so they choose to mm -hmm. call themselves natural farmers. But then it's very difficult for the customer to discern between organic and non-organic. Is it natural? Is yeah. it better? Right? I think it's, it's really, you know, I think it's something, I think it's becoming a challenge everywhere, to be honest. I mean, I think people have kind of jumped on board on this idea that people will pay more for natural food. People will pay more for organic food. Um, and so sadly, I think a lot of companies will find ways to sort of maneuver the wordings and to make things sound more organic than they really are and even the organic standard i mean it doesn't mean that it's 100 percent organic so i think you know i, I think it's hard I, I think i miss the days where i mean not that i i actually like lived through these days but you know when you actually really knew the farmer you knew the where the food was coming from and you knew exactly how it was being processed and i think that that's really you know i think we try to make sure that when we partner with people that there is that level of traceability and we do our best you know everything is made in japan so our foods are made locally um you know they're not getting imported we even did um as we we're talking about sesame seeds so people may not know um sesame seeds do appear quite a bit in japanese cuisine but about 99 percent of them are imported um, and so when we featured our sesame seeds, they were locally made and one of the few local producers that are still making um, sesame seeds within Japan. And so um, it's really interesting. I think, you know, as things change, I mean, we do open up to different, you know, import exports and people want things year round from every country. And it's an interesting balance for us, you know, and I think when we talk about um, being able to also understand that our producers are small batch producers. And so when something that we worry about too is as we grow and we become popular, how do we make it more manageable so that our producers can still be authentic and without having to feel a demand 
of international market that may be more than they are expecting. And so a lot of times, you know, we we anticipate when we do the single item sales that things are going to sell out and it's literally a matter of, well, it's not the season. And so we have to wait, you know, for the next the next crop to come in or the next batch. But I think that that's hopefully going to make um, a little bit more of what we're doing seem really special. And um, I love that you're showing on the page the Doi Farm there. They're um, a local far rice farmer and they um, actually were looking at the idea of um, climate change in Japan and how with the hotter weather that it was actually damaging a lot of the rice crops. Um, and so they actually have sort of come up with a, a different strain of rice called the Nikomaru rice, which stands up to heat a little bit better. Um, and so there is an interesting technology that's being used on the other end in order to sort of adapt to the change in the environment. That's great. Uh, Molly says, I remember the care packages a college friend got from her grandma in Japan. They were amazing. It was how I was introduced to Japanese cuisine, too. That's awesome. Oh, that makes, yeah. I mean, it's so, you know, it's funny when... Um, you start your own business, you sort of think about, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of different things at play. And um, as I mentioned, Aki and I started in finance. And so we both sort of have that financial background. Um, but we really care about it's interesting. I mean, I, I think like we, we deeply mean this. So I think for a lot of people, Kokoro actually, it, it means heart in Japanese, but it means like a lot of things in Japanese, there's there's more, more nuance to it. So it does, it means emotion, it means connection, it means love, it means a lot of those things. And so when we think about our care packages, I mean, each and every month we're putting together these thoughtful ideas of, you know, how can we combine different types of food? So, you know, we always try to include um, a drink, whether it be a tea and then a rice or something wholesome that you can make a meal around, um, a quick snack that you can eat kind of right away while you're sort of thinking about that meal that you're going to have. Um, but we really want to expose people to the different connections. And it's been really incredible for us. And I think when we think about our audience, we we absolutely love the idea that people I don't know, like there's something touching about it when you, you think about delivering food from a small local farmer in Japan to somewhere across the world and just seeing the love and the, the, the mutual respect that's happening on both sides. I mean, it's been such a joy and it's been such a treat. Um, and I know it gets said a lot when it comes to the being an entrepreneur that you have to sort of do what you love. But I feel as if our community and our producers love what they're doing so much that it almost makes what we do easy. And we are just sort of the benefactors that get to connect the two dots. Um, and so it's really incredible for us. And I mean, we always encourage people to, to reach out to us at any time and, you know, share their stories, because I think that stories mean a lot. You know, I think food is food, but it's the meal that you had surrounded with, you know, your family or friends or that place that you were at that time. And I think that there's so much more to it. And we hope that our care package can kind of bring that to you, that it's not just food. It's who's that person that created it? What's the story behind it? What's the story that you're going to create when you make that food that we're hoping that people will be able to share once they get their care packages? Yeah, wonderful. Um, as women who run a business, I, I do notice that you are featuring women as well as men. Uh, and often when we're talking about growers or craftspeople, the focus is almost entirely on men. Is this something that you're seeking out uh, to try to have more of a balance? It's wonderful to see uh, a local woman in Nagasaki here who's doing indigo because indigo in itself is very sustainable, but also women are very involved with the natural dyes and the textile industry more in Japan. So it's wonderful to see 
Yeah, and I think this is really interesting because I think as you as you sort of mentioned, Joy, that um, indigo is sort of known for that beautiful blue color that's actually known as Japanese blue um, because it's so popular in Japan. But we actually featured a tea um, that's made from indigo as well. And so what's really interesting is I think in Japan, too, when you look at the plants that almost everything gets used. And so, um, you know, a favorite expression of my mother's is motainai, which means don't waste anything. Um, and I think that that's something that's been around in Japanese culture for a very long time. When you think about the plants, I mean, they use everything from the stems to the leaves to the roots. Um, and nothing gets wasted. And so it's a really um, sort of a long way to get back to your question. I mean, I think that when we specifically talk about women in, in these industries, um, uh, it's interesting. You know, I don't think we necessarily seek out women. Um, do we just seek out stories? But um, there is one Yuzu. Um, there she is. This is wonderful. So Yuzu Riko, which is the one down at the bottom there. Um, she when she started her company, she was about 66 years old um, and she was in Tokushima, which is a region that's famous for its pesticide free Yuzu. Um, but unfortunately, because they grow up on mountaintops and with the aging farmers, they're not able to make the climb to get these pesticide-free yuzus. And so she noticed a lot of them were going to waste. Um, and so she actually started her own company at 66 years old, and she was bringing in younger farmers who would help with the harvest. Um, and she started her own company, and we featured her yuzu miso, which um, is maybe one of the most delectable things I've ever I've ever heard. I, mean, I think when you eat Japanese flavors, you're supposed to eat a little bit of everything, but I could do this by the spoonful, but it mixes the sweet citrus tartness of yuzu with that umami-rich flavor of miso, which is a hint of sweetness, and it's just... It's so delectable, but she has a wonderful, um, you know, a lot of different yuzu products. Um, they also do yuzu peels, which can be candied. And so you're not just using the flesh that's on the inside. You're also using the peel as well. So um, and a lot of our farmers, yeah, they, they you know, they don't use pesticides and they don't use um, for like they don't use um, unnatural fertilizers for a lot of what they do. And um, I think that's really important. I think we have to start sort of thinking about where our food is coming from and the traceability of it. Um, and so for us to meet, you know, local farmers like this, you know, be it men or women, um, I think it's really incredible to hear their stories. That's great. Yeah, we talked to Violet Pachileo in the series, and I know you know Violet. And she was also talking about how they have so much yuzu, great organic yuzu in Kochi. Um, but at the JA, at the local agriculture buyer, they don't pay any more for organic versus non-organic yuzu. Yeah. So there's, there's that problem internally as well. That's crazy. And I think what's also interesting as well, and I think it's something that we suffer from a little bit in the West too, but I think this is changing because I think that there are, are there are companies that focus on ugly fruit. But, you know, I think we've just been trained so much when we see something that it should be the perfect image of what we imagine it is. But the reason it is perfect is because it's been coated in wax or it's been, you know, I think that there's a, maybe it's been injected with things, you know, it's not natural. And the way things um, I think with the JA, even speaking with Violet as well, is that they won't take foods if they don't look perfect. Um, so, you know, the foods that are just as good, just, to, to, you know, like even taste better to me um, because you know that they are natural. They don't necessarily make it to the shelves or into products at all um, and end up getting wasted. And so. I think, you know, for the company, what we're doing, too, is we kind of are able to give these producers a way to go directly to the customers through us. Um, and then they don't necessarily have to sort of abide by rules that are really drawing them away from 
what they love to do and what they're trying to create, you know, and I think um, an interesting aspect, too, is a lot of the people that we partner with, I mean, they're farmers first, you know, they are producers and making a product. And so for them, they're not really about advertising. They're not really about growing market share or any of these terms that we use. And so we're hoping that we can kind of give them a nudge to help support their businesses um, while, so they can focus on what they're good at and what their sort of expertise is. That's so important. And so it's to support the local grower or producer who is so passionate about doing a good job and all they expect is a fair price. All they expect is for the customer to appreciate it and buy it. And uh, hopefully through your work and by publicizing about these growers as well, you can help uh, keep them going a bit longer. I am fascinated by this kuromogi herb tea. Can you tell us about it? The tree yeah. tea. Yeah, so this is, it's, it's really interesting. I think when we sort of started focusing on our herbs and spices box, we really wanted to showcase very local teas. And so um, there's a term called, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the Japanese word for it. I'm, I'm now embarrassed, but um, it, we talk about forest bathing and sort of that feeling that you get when you're in the forests of Japan and that calm that comes over you. Um, and so these, a lot of our teas are very natural and they're just made, you know, with just the tea leaves. Um, and this one too, I mean, we really stress with the, the care package that's coming out is for everyone to pause and smell the fruit, the foods first and really get that full sense. And so with something like this Kuromoji tea, it's very, I mean, it just has that sense of calmness and you will feel almost like you're transported into the forest um, as, you, as you drink the tea. And so I think tea is a huge part, as we know, of Japanese culture, but um, there's so many different aspects of it. You know, I think people automatically think green tea and maybe they think sencha or matcha, but there's such a wide variety of different teas. And we, um, we actually have a, a Japanese green and specialty teas care package where we try to showcase different teas outside of we do have a couple of green teas because obviously I think that that's what people um, to taste real authentic green teas is also a very nice treat but we also want to showcase different um, we have a shell ginger tea that also comes from Okinawa um, they actually have done some studies and they you know Okinawans tend to be um, one of the longest living people on earth or, or they, they used to be before sort of the, the Western world kind of took over some of their diet. But um, and people uh, thought that shell ginger might actually be one of the key reasons that they do live these long and healthy lives. So um, we try to showcase a lot of different aspects of, um, of tea flavors as well. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so this, this getting back to this tea just for a second, um, this reminded me of like uh, forest shade coffee. So you don't have to cut down the trees to grow the tea. You don't have to cut down the trees to make the coffee. And he's going through the forest, gathering the leaves and making the tea. This is awesome. I love it. Yeah, and some of them, you know, we, we feature a shiitake um, mushroom nardashi um, care package as well. And they actually grow the shiitakes deep in the forest on wooden logs. Um, and that really adds to that earthy flavor as well. And so I think for a lot of them, I mean, they, they aren't harvested, you know, they aren't cultivated in factories or anything of the sorts. Like a lot of them are definitely going out and they're, they're featuring... Um, what's in their own backyard. And we've even had, we featured this wonderful um, chili sauce that came from Okinawa again. And um, the, the owners actually pick herbs and spices from their own backyard. And they put it into this, this beautiful tea, uh, this beautiful sauce that has a wonderful spiciness that really is reflective of the Okinawan culture. Um, and so that's a real treat for us too. You know, we get to show, introduce people to different um, words and different, you know, different herbs and spices that maybe they hadn't ever tried before. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, you said that you connected with Aki in Tokyo, uh, not only because both of you had a background in finance, but both of you were interested in fitness. So how do you see fitness connecting with the kinds of care packages and the kind of products that you promote on your website? Yeah, so it's really interesting. I, I mean, first of all, um, I'm going to maybe embarrass Aki a little bit, but she was um, she was a bodybuilder and she actually competed for Japan on the, the international stage. So we both very much understand how much food can impact, um, you know, not only your well-being, but your energy levels and your strength and wellness. And so for me, working out is a very big part of my life. It's um, it's something that I try to do every single day. And you know, we've really learned to realize that the food that you eat. Um, it's almost, it's interesting. I think that there's two different ways of it. I think the food that you eat can definitely um, create an outcome that you're looking for. So in terms of fitness, there are ways that you can sort of manipulate, especially when you're thinking of bodybuilding, of your body composition of the certain foods that you take. But I really do 100% believe that the quality of the food that you ate, it gives you the energy that you can, that you need in order to be able to, you know, lift heavier things or have that flexibility when you think about, you know, all the omegas that are in fish and, and things like that. There's so much that the Japanese diet, I mean, there's just little things to it that I think, you know, people, it's, it might not be intuitive, but um, even when you think about, you know, sushi and, and there's always that pickled ginger that comes on the side and People might not know this, but the reason that they have that there is because ginger helps sometimes to fight off bad bacteria um, that can happen. So in the olden days, when they didn't have refrigeration for the fish, they would pair it with the ginger. And that way, you know, if the fish was a little bit off, the ginger would sort of help calm your stomach. And so when we think about Japanese food, there's always a reason why everything is there. So there's no wastefulness. You know, there's nothing that's there for the sake of being there, but it does sort of incorporate a full meal together and create that balance. Um, but I, yeah, I do think that, you know, my energy levels, everyone sort of um, wonders why I never tire. <laughs> um, but it's really just because, you know, I think I'm, I'm eating good quality food. And I think that that's a big part of what we need to go back to is just really eating within the seasons. Um, you know, there's a certain reason that like certain grow food grows at a certain period of time, because maybe that food nourishes you in the way that your body needs for that temperature so you know like coconut water is very refreshing and you get coconuts in tropical regions because that's where you need sort of the refreshing electrolytes to, to keep you hydrated so a lot of these things make sense and I, I think you know when we become a little bit more in tune with what nature is giving us our bodies can function at their their optimal yeah wonderful i'm showing your beautiful and amazing instagram page as well right now uh, do you guys have staff doing this for you? How are you doing all these amazing photos and short videos and all the publicity information? Is it really just the two of you? It's amazing. Yeah, so people sort of ask us. We have a wonderful team. Um, so Aki and I are, are the co-founders. Um, and we have a team, there is somebody who helps us in the US and she's been incredible. She sort of started, um, she's bilingual and she's able to help us with a lot of the translations. Um, and so what people don't know is that when we find a product, obviously all the information that we get from them is in Japanese. Um, and so she's able to, to do a lot of the translations. Um, we have a person who's helping us part-time with the, the 
marketing as well. Um, and so they come up with a lot of the beautiful designs. Um, we have another woman who is with us in Japan who's just been absolutely incredible. She does a lot of the design work. Um, and so when you look at the brochures, um, those are all coming from her. Um, so it's a very small team. I think people are always shocked when they hear about um, the, how small it is. But I think this sort of, you know, speaks to we want to be real people, you know, like I think sometimes when companies get too big, you start and I think, you know, it's an interesting entrepreneur question. You know, I think people are always talking about growth. And, you know, I, I remember when I first started my company, I always laugh. People were like, well, what's your exit strategy? And I was like, well, I haven't really entered yet, so maybe I should do that first. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about our business, we're not thinking necessarily about being, you know, we, we do want to be successful, obviously, because I think the, the bigger we get, the more impactful we're able to be. Um, but we're not just trying to grow for the sake of growing. So a lot of what we put out there, we really want to focus on the quality. So the information that we put out there when we write a blog or we do a recipe, we try to make sure that it is as accurate as possible and provides a lot of information. And I think even when we talk about social media, it's kind of, I mean, if I'm honest, you know, it's, it's kind of, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I think it's become a point where people post for the sake of posting or they're just trying to get followers and likes and that's never really been our strategy I mean I I want people to genuinely enjoy the products that we get and I genuinely want to he hear the feedback you know if people tell us something you know they they didn't really like something or they didn't know how to use something and we didn't make it clear to them we absolutely want to hear that feedback and I actually still answer all the customer emails that come in um, and I want to know what, what people think. And I think for us, we are really trying to be those, um, the network between our customers and our, our producers. So we want to know, you know, on both sides, what do people want to hear? What do people want to learn about? What are they interested in? What's the next theme? And then, you know, from our producers, you know, when they sort of think about like, what, what, what does an American audience like? You know, like what kind of taste do they have? I mean, we want to be able to share that information back and forth. So um, for us, it's really just about as being as honest as possible. And, and there's Aki. You found her. <laughs> I found her. Yeah. yeah. No, I am so impressed by everything that you guys are doing. You're doing an awesome job. And like I mentioned before we started, I would love to talk to you in every season when you put out a new box and go through all these wonderful stories of all your producers, how you found them, what the products are. So please come we back. That. Yeah. Well, Next time so with much. Aki together, maybe. I think it's a great idea. You know, when we sort of talk about it, it's, it's really funny um, about our team. Aki and I, and this is always shocks people, we've only met each other three times in person. So people think that this is absolutely crazy to start a business with somebody. But I think that there's a real belief that when something feels right, it feels right. And when we first met, we just sort of hit it off so well that um, there's never been any moment where we sort of doubted what we were doing. Um, and so, you know, they always say, pick your business partner very carefully. And I think we just got blessed with, um, you know, the partnership that we have and also, you know, the partners that we have locally in Japan, our team as well. Um, and then our customers too. I mean, I don't even like to call them customers. I sort of like to think of them as our community. Um, even when you're scrolling through our Instagram page, a lot of that is just community members sharing with us what they've created. And I, I almost love seeing that more um, than, you know, watching us sort of create some food on our own. We want to see what people are doing. And sometimes they surprise us with the unique ideas that we hadn't thought of. Yeah. Wow. It's awesome. We have a few more minutes. Is there anything we haven't touched on this time that you'd like to talk about? 
Um, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of just the different products, I think a lot of times people think of us only as a subscription business. So we do have a monthly and seasonal um, subscription with a changing theme um, every month and every season. But we do also have collections care packages. And so those collections care packages are available year round. And we wanted to um, sort of make those more as uh, an introductory way into sort of your stepping your toe into Japanese food um, because you know exactly what you're going to get and it comes um, with full recipes. And so that's sort of an easy way. We have um, our Creative Beginnings Redefining Wa Care Package of Japanese cooking essentials. So I think as we're talking about with minimal ingredients, you need to make sure the quality matters. Um, we have a tea care package, a snack one, a dashi one, a noodle one. Um, and we're actually... Now that we've been speaking about vegan, um, the Shojin Doherty care package was such a hit that we're actually going to come out with a permanent vegan care package for everyone so they can order that one um, year-round. Um, and if they order by the end of the month, they'll be getting our Japanese herbs and spices care package. That's fantastic. Um, as a longtime vegetarian vegan in Japan, uh, the only way I was able to eat vegetarian, vegan Japanese food was going abroad. And it was so oh. depressing. So now it is getting a little bit easier. It's the, the idea is certainly easier to get across. So I think uh, in businesses like yours that are introducing it to an international market are even having an effect back in Japan as well by creating demand. So I'm so happy to hear that you now have a vegan box. Yay, plant-based. <laughs> <laughs> um, your packages are so beautiful. Give us a, a ballpark. So it costs about how much per subscription yes. or yeah. per box? So our, our monthly care package comes at $55. And um, if you order more, you can order just for one month, three months, six months, and 12 months. And the further out that you order, um, it becomes um, a little bit more um, affordable that way. And then we also have our seasonal care package. So that comes out every um, three months and with the change of the seasons. And that one's $95. Um, the monthly usually comes with about five or six uh, artisanal products. And then the monthly comes anywhere from seven till 10, uh, seven to 10. And then we also include a unique gift. So we like to find something more on the artistic side of things. And uh, we're actually doing a cognac soap um, in the one that we're gonna be featuring in September. So people might know uh, cognac as sort of, it's it become a noodle substitute almost um, because it has high fiber and, and low carb content. Um, but it actually makes for a beautiful soap. And so we're going to be featuring wow. that in our fall care package as well. How fun. And tell us a little bit about your customers just for the last minute. Uh, yep. Where are most of your customers at? Yeah, so we ship to about 35 uh, plus countries worldwide. And so um, even if you go to our website and if your country isn't listed, we're happy to sort of see um, we basically ship anywhere that Japan Post ships to. Um, the majority of our customers are based in the U.S., but I think that's just sort of the nature of the beast in terms of um, where the e-commerce world lives. But uh, we do have a lot of customers in my home country of Canada, um, Australia. We do have uh, customers within Asia as well and Europe. Um, and so pretty much worldwide. And we, you know, we do get uh, questions sometimes to, you know, do we ship to certain countries in South America and Africa and as well. Um, obviously, the pandemic has made things a little bit complicated to some countries, um, but feel free um, to reach out at info at kokorocares.com. We're happy to uh, sort of investigate if we can ship to your country as well. But basically anywhere Japan posts ships, we're happy to, to send our care package to you. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lillian, for joining. That was great insights about a little bit about what you do. And I look forward to more insights the next time. Thank you so much, Joy, and to all your audience as well. We very much appreciate your time and your support. And we had a lot of fun and we definitely hope to be back and to sharing more of our, our regional products with your, uh, with your audience. Thank you so much. Definitely. Thank you so much, Lillian. And thank you everybody for joining today.